Hey there, Gilded Age listeners. I'm co-host Alex Koch. I want to tell you about something really exciting. Last year, during the early days of the pandemic, co-host Walker Bragman and I started talking about news apps and how they're dominated by the corporate media. We thought maybe we should create a news app that we liked, that spoke to the issues that matter without any corporate media bias. So we approached the Progressive Coders Network and pitched them on the idea. Fortunately, they were into it. So for over a year, we've been developing OptOut, a news aggregation app that's 100% free of corporate media narratives. We've got over 100 financially independent, truth-telling news outlets on board already, and we're nearing the beta launch in September. To find out more, please visit optout.news and sign up for a free newsletter. That way, you'll find out about OptOut developments, get regular roundups of independent media content, and have a chance to be a beta tester. Check out optout.news for more details. And by the way, if you'd like to help us launch this app, all donations are tax deductible. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Gilded Age, the podcast where we discuss how and why we're fucked. And today we're talking with author David Daly, who wrote Rat Fucked, which is a book that everyone should read about gerrymandering, um, which is partisan redistricting, using the redistricting process to uh, disempower one party uh, for the sake of another. Um David, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I'm a big fan of yours. I have been for a long time. Um, and this is an issue that we've been talking about for a long time. Uh, so why don't, why don't you tell us a little bit about what's going on, and uh, then we can just kind of go from there. Sure. Hey, my pleasure. Um, and happy birthday, Walker. Um, oh, thanks thank for having you. me on. It's nice to be able to talk uh, about... <laughs> A book called Rat Fucked on a podcast about why we're fucked. Uh, so there you the go. two tastes that go great together. Um, listen, partisan gerrymandering has never been worse. Um, it's never been a, a bigger problem. And so many of the reasons why we're fucked uh, are tied directly back to the extreme toxic partisan gerrymanders that took place a decade ago. Um, we are still living with those gerrymanders. We are living with the Frankenstein's monsters of extremist politicians that those gerrymanders inflicted on our politics. The citizens in states like Wisconsin and North Carolina and Michigan and Ohio and Pennsylvania and Florida might like to know where they can go to get their democracies back because those states have not looked like much of a democracy for the last 10 years. Uh, the 59 million Americans uh, who lived in a state after the 2018 elections in which one or both chambers of the state legislature was controlled by uh, the party that won fewer votes. Um, and uh, spoiler alert, all 59 million of those folks lived in states where Democratic candidates won more votes and Republicans held the power might also like to know where to go to get their democracy back. Um, and we are about to embark on the 2021 redistricting cycle. We're about to do this all again. Woohoo! Right. Just so everybody, just so everybody watching this understands on August 16th, the U S census bureau is going to release census data to the States. Um, and that will allow the States to start redrawing their maps their congressional and state legislative maps. And I believe it's 37 states where elected officials are in charge of that process. Um, and for most of the country, that will conclude in a matter of weeks. So uh, that's right. As, as you were saying, this, this problem of, you know, weaponizing that process to disempower uh, the majority is, um, is really pressing. It's a really pressing issue. It's and about to get worse. It's about to get worse fast. Yep. And American voters have less protection than they did a decade ago because the U.S. Supreme Court in 2019, in a 5-4 ruling along strict partisan lines, um, called 
the gerrymandering a non-justiciable political issue um, and uh, effectively close the doors to the federal courts. So when lawmakers get this new data on August 16th, uh, the day that Elvis died, the day that Madonna was born, um, uh, the day that our democracy could rot in hell for the next 10 years, um, is, is um, they will have a green light and no speed limit uh, on the kinds of extreme maps that they can impose because there will be absolutely no fear that the U.S. Supreme Court uh, will step in and do anything about it. And I should ask, I should add too that um, it's not just the 2019 SCOTUS decision, it's 2013 when they struck down a key portion of the Voting Rights Act, uh, which used to um, require states that had a history of racist uh, voting laws to get pre clearance on all their changes to voting laws. And I believe that also would include redistricting, right? It would. Um, so there's two things that has really been turbocharged by the Shelby County ruling that gutted Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act back in 2013. Again, a court along strict 5-4 partisan lines. Um, and what Shelby County has done for the last eight years is it has allowed these gerrymandered legislatures in places like Texas and Arizona and Georgia North Carolina. Um, it has allowed them to act with impunity on changes to their voting rules um, that previously would have had to have been cleared either by the DOJ or by a special court in Washington, D.C. And the afternoon that Shelby County ruling was made is the very afternoon that Texas introduced its new mega voter ID bill the one that famously disenfranchised 600,000 Latino voters who were perfectly registered to vote, perfectly able to vote, but lacked the form of strict ID that the state now required. This is the bill, for example, that said you can use your gun license to vote, but not a student ID. Um, and that decision <laughs> effectively supercharged um, so much of what we continue to see up to this day, um, you know, so much of the voter ID and voter suppression efforts of the last decade um, start with Shelby County. Um, so many of these current bills that are, are, are pretexted on the big lie um, are, are made possible by Shelby County. But the state legislatures that are writing these laws, in many cases, were created by partisan gerrymandering. So the two go hand in hand. So just to give everybody an idea of how bad this, this is, uh, Pennsylvania in 2011, uh, the Republicans drew uh, congressional maps there to favor their majorities. There are 18 congressional districts in Pennsylvania. Democrats won, I think, 51% of the vote in 2012 but only captured five congressional seats. So that's, I mean, that's uh, a pretty staggering difference. And I think there was a, there was a, a study by the Brennan Center that found that the districts that were drawn after the 2010 midterms gave the Republicans an extra 15 to 17 congressional seats. I mean, this is, you, you can't, you can't out-organize this, can you, David? You can't out-organize partisan gerrymandering and, um, the idea that the Democratic Party thinks that um, out-organizing partisan gerrymandering is a viable strategy when they control both houses of Congress and the White House and could actually do something about it is insane. What kind of failure do you think this represents? I mean, is this is this a failure we're going to look back on as like a turning point for like, oh, we could have done something about climate change, but we didn't, or, oh, we could have... like. Is this is this one of those foundational, um, like fuck ups that that will cost future generations? We we are so deeply screwed if this if this is allowed to go forward. I mean, the Democratic Party fell asleep 
on redistricting back in 2010. And as a result, the Republicans were able to run a strategy called the Red Map, the Redistricting Majority Project, and they took over state legislatures in Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, Florida, North Carolina, all of these states. Um, that's where this started. Um, they're fully awakened to that problem now, but they haven't been able to win back a single state legislative chamber in any of those states because, again, you can't out-organize partisan gerrymandering. I mean, ask the folks in Wisconsin who, in 2018, when when voters re-elected Tammy Baldwin and kicked out Scott Walker from the governor's office, replaced him with Tony Evers, and uh, gave Democratic uh, candidates every single down-ballot uh, statewide office, and favor Democratic state assembly candidates by uh, 203,000 votes statewide and uh, cut the Republican advantage to 6336. So 55% of the vote gave you 36 point something percent of the seats. Wow. You can't out organize that. Um, yeah. But this is the big problem right now is that, like, if Democrats don't understand that they are going to lose their majorities next year and they might not come back for a decade. They might not come back ever. I mean, um, I sound hyperbolic and, and slightly insane, but- um, I run into the same problem. It feel You feel kind of crazy <sighs> saying it, but it, it is true. I mean, just like the, the disadvantage that they get put in, uh, if this happens, it's like, I don't know the, the vehicle at that point for progressive change. Uh, it throws There everything. is no vehicle for change of, of any kind. I mean, these are the numbers that Democrats are staring at. In 2020, Democratic candidates for the U.S. House won 4.5, 4.6 million more votes than Republican candidates statewide. Uh, a nationwide. And yet that created a five seat majority, five seats. Um, when Republicans won 4.3, 4.4 million votes more than Democrats in 2014, that led to 247 seats. So uh, there's some of the difference right there. But we are about to redraw all of these lines. Republicans can redraw Texas. Georgia, North Carolina, and Florida, and pick up about a dozen seats simply through redistricting alone in those states. Then you can crack Memphis in half and get rid of Congressman Cooper and turn that seat red. You can go to Kentucky and you can crack Louisville in half and get rid of John Yarmouth just like that. Republicans have a trifecta in New Hampshire. They have already said that they intend to gerrymander New Hampshire and take a seat there. You could go to St. Louis and you could gerrymander a seat there by cracking Kansas City. Um, and, Democrats, and, and Democrats are going to lose the, uh, the single seat that they have in Kansas um, through redistricting. Uh, the state Senate president, Susan Wagle, campaigned last year on uh, if you give us supermajorities that allow us to veto the Democratic governor's maps, we will gerrymander that um, the Congresswoman David's out of office. Uh, one of the one of the only Native American members of Congress, by the way. That's probably sixteen or seventeen seats right there that Republicans can gain through gerrymandering. Can Democrats pick up a couple in Illinois, New York, and Maryland? Maybe, uh, yeah, perhaps five. Um, so I would say you're looking at probably a net of ten to eleven. Republican seats through redistricting alone next year. So that's the majority. I mean, that's that's twice the majority. What that means is that if every American votes exactly the same way with new lines next year, you've got Speaker McCarthy or possibly Speaker Trump, right? I mean, the Speaker doesn't have to be a member, but they could put anyone in that chair and third in line from the That's White House. True. Marjorie Taylor Greene. That they, they could, want to. They could do that. And 4.5 million Americans wouldn't be enough to control what's supposed to be the people's house. Well, and, and so let's let's also step a little back and, and put this in the current political context. 
which I think we were already kind of getting at is that, you know, there, it's kind of convoluted, right? But essentially we have a, a U.S. House that has the slim majority that did pass H.R. 1, which is a, a, a sweeping voting rights bill. If, if it were put into law, it would drastically change the situation in very, very, very good ways. And then you have the Senate that has not passed it. And essentially, there's two Democrats. You know, the Democrats have a one vote majority, given that it is a split Senate down the middle and Kamala Harris, the vice president, gets the tiebreaker, uh, tiebreaking vote. There's two conservative Democrats, uh, Joe Manchin of West Virginia, Kirsten Sinema of Arizona, who have uh, refused to get rid of the filibuster, which uh, basically mandates that, you know, bills have most bills have to pass with a 60 vote majority, not a 51 vote majority. Um, and and. I have not seen any reporting uh, that that Joe Biden has put any pressure or Chuck Schumer really has put any pressure on those two uh, to, to to go along with their own party and prevent the downfall of their party in a year and a, less than a year and a half. Um, in fact, not much more than a year. It's November of next year is probably when this is all going to happen. Uh, and it's it's and, and Walker, of course, we're going to get into your articles and and the the the, the deadline that we're facing with the, the gerrymandering. Um, but it's mind boggling to me that the president of the United States, first of all, he was vice president during the first gerrymandering round. He saw what happened. He saw what happened in 2012, which was the first election after the gerrymandering happened. Uh, and then, of course, in 2014, as you referred to as well, um, and he's sitting there and he's just he's just willingly letting his legacy go to pieces. Uh, he's his agenda. He's letting Joe Manchin, a Democrat, block his entire agenda. The only meaningful legislation they've passed was the Recovery Act, and I believe in March, uh, you know, COVID Recovery Act. Um, that's it. Is does that does he want his legacy to be worse than Obama's? I don't understand. It's not just his party whose future he's flushing down the toilet. It's the idea of representative democracy, the idea of representative multiracial democracy itself, um, which is bigger than the prospects for the Democratic Party. But uh, yeah, I mean, um, listen, Joe Biden was vice president under Barack Obama, he had a front row seat to the fact that uh, this Republican Party is not going to go along with anything. Um, and the idea that, you know, he can walk into the U.S. Senate and by virtue of his personal relationships, uh, find uh, 10 reasonable Republicans who are going to compromise with him is is, is simply not going to happen. I mean, so I guess I would start there. I guess I would say, um, I guess I would say that that the, that before I get to Mansion and Cinema, the idea that these uh, 50 Republicans in the U.S. Senate are blameless here um, is 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 um, I think wrong. Um, I think they too ought to ought to ought to hold some responsibility um, for protecting you know basic tenets of representative democracy. Uh, but you know, Mansion and Cinema are are what's standing between. Um, it's the filibuster or or it's democracy. It's 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 really that simple. Um, and Biden uses this apocalyptic rhetoric when he talks about this that I think is right on. You know, I'm down with his rhetoric when he says that you know this is the moment that our democracy has is most challenged, other than any since the Civil War. And he may well be right about that. But so if is. that's if that's what you believe. What are you going to do about it, Joe? If if that's really what you think this moment is, the most dangerous for our democracy since the Civil War, find some way to convince Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema that they've got to get a voting rights carve out. And I've been saying this for, for months. Just look, look, every other, the 48 Democrats in the Senate will do whatever Biden wants, even, even Bernie for the most part. Um, he has been a, a, a leader in, in, in a lot of these, the, the infrastructure bill and all these things. Um, and really, and Schumer will certainly do whatever Biden wants. And I've just been, no, I feel like I'm screaming to avoid here. I'm like, threaten Joe Manchin with his 
chairmanship of the Energy and Natural Resources Committee. Now, first of all, he, he never should be on that. He, he should not be on that committee at all because he is a coal millionaire who started a coal business in 1988 and his son now runs it and he makes half a million or more every year in passive income from the company. So clearly that's a massive financial conflict of interest and that's a discussion for another day. Um, but I don't see why they wouldn't threaten him. Do, do, do they think he'll really switch to be a Republican and like the kind of proto-fascist Trumpian Republican party? I kind of doubt it. He's a, he's a lifelong Democrat. He's a conservative, but I mean, would, would that ruin his brand or what? So why don't you threaten that or even kick him out of the caucus altogether? If you're not in the caucus, you can't propose bills. You, you have no power. I, I actually have, have an idea about this or, or why, why it's so hands-off. I, I really think that it sort of goes back to, to Reagan's vision of, of government. They, they, there is a, a, a lack of will in, in the Democratic Party to utilize the federal government um, and the, its, power, its regulatory powers, um, its mandates. And we're seeing that with the COVID response as well, sort of leaving everything up to the states and issuing guidances and, and incentives for the private sector. But there's a, a lack of desire and, and maybe, maybe, it is, maybe it's fear of backlash. If we govern, if we do something, we're going to get another Reagan. Whatever, but whatever it is, they don't want to use the power of the federal government. And that is genuinely scary when we are facing crises like climate change, like inequality, historic inequality. Our show is called Gilded Age. Inequality today is worse than it was during the Gilded Age. I mean, this is, this is scary stuff that we're dealing with. We are, you know, I think Biden was absolutely right. As you said, uh, he, he, he speaks in apocalyptic terms. Yeah, but he's not doing anything about it. That's a leadership void. That's, that's like, that's like saying, yeah, there's a, you know, there's a giant asteroid hurtling towards us. We have the, we have the technology to blow it up in space and stop catastrophe, but now try negotiating with it. It doesn't, it doesn't work. You need, government. You need an active government. And this is sort of why I, I think it really hurt us that, that somebody like Bernie Sanders did not win in 2016 or 2020. I think, I think the, the vision of what government can be is so radically different. It's as if they still believe that there's some connection between policy and elections. And what they don't understand is that gerrymandering has severed that. What they have missed is that what Republicans have done on voting over the course of the last 10 years minimum and what their rogue ideologues on the Supreme Court have allowed to have happened in that meantime, what that has done is it's it's severed the idea that you can come into office, govern responsibly, pass a couple of things that people like, and then get reelected in the midterms. It doesn't work that way. Why isn't media talking about that, though? Why, why is it so hard? for? We still have election coverage like, well, Democrats are suffering the, the blowback from the, from the passage of the Affordable Care Act, or Donald Trump is seeing the blowback now from his, you know... Um, from his tax bill. Like we still talk and in, in, we speak in terms of, of policy as if that affects, as if that affects outcomes. Now I will say, I do think 2018, there was a genuine groundswell of, of revulsion about against Trump that did propel the, I didn't think Democrats were going to take the house in 2018. Um, I, I thought that they'd probably pick up seats of the state legislature, which they did. Um, but I mean, Genu generally speaking, I think that is, I think that's a great observation. And one, it's one I have not, you know, thought about in those terms that policy and, and elections are now completely separate. When you're running in gerrymandered states, when you're trying to hold on to gerrymandered state legislative seats or gerrymandered U.S. House seats, you can't simply point to policy and suggest that that is going to win you another term. You, you are, you know, the lines have been rigged in such a way as, that, as we talked about in Wisconsin. You need to win more than 55% of the, the vote 
just to win 36% of the seats. I mean, what percentage do they think they will actually win in these polarized times through a couple of reasonable policies? There is nothing. So you've got to act boldly to save the democracy itself. Um, and the unwillingness to do so, the idea that they think they can tinker around the edges and hold on to the House through a couple of swing seats is fundamentally wrong. Um, I'd go back to, to, to 2018, um, because I think it's important to point out that Democrats did not take back the U.S. House in 2018 because they defeated partisan gerrymandering. That's simply not what happened. Democrats did not win a single U.S. House seat back in North Carolina, in Ohio, in Wisconsin. They only won because they were able to flip upwards of 70% of the seats that were drawn by courts and commissions. Also, they were able to take back the House because they won a new map in the state of Pennsylvania, which, as you mentioned previously, had been a 13-5 map favoring Republicans, a stuck, frozen 13-5 map. Didn't matter how many votes Democrats won, it was going to be a 13-5 map in 12, 14, 16. In 2018, that map is replaced by a fair map. You get a 9-9 map, and they pick up four seats right there. So new, new maps in Florida, in Virginia, and in Pennsylvania, and then some courts and commission seats is what got Democrats back the majority in 2018. They did not make any inroads in these gerrymandered states, and they made no inroads in all of these gerrymandered state legislatures nationwide, where Democrats have not won back a chamber in Georgia, in Florida, in Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin, for a decade under these lines. Now, that's that's really interesting because the Democratic there's a there's a new group now run by Eric Holder called the Democratic the National Democratic Redistricting Committee that seems to believe that it can solve this problem through the courts, that it can get new maps. Um, but that decision in Pennsylvania came down before the 2019 decision on gerrymandering at the Supreme Court. So do you think the, uh, the, the legal strategy to, to do, to, you know, not through legislation, we'll just deal with it after the fact retroactive through, uh, court challenges. Do you think that's viable? I think you need a full arsenal of strategies. Um, the federal courts are now closed. So the arena will become state courts. And it was, it was state Supreme Courts in Pennsylvania and North Carolina that overturned those rigged maps. Democrats picked up four seats off, off of Pennsylvania. They picked up two off of North Carolina. That's six. That means the majority is dependent on those two cases. Um, I don't think that's overstatement at all. Democrats would still have had the 10-3 map and the 13-5 map, and they'd have six fewer seats, and it would be uh, Speaker McCarthy. Um, so the legal strategy in state courts has been useful in that regard. Yes, absolutely. And um, a strategy of, of funding state Supreme Court candidates in Wisconsin and North Carolina and Ohio and Michigan is absolutely essential. I mean, I mean, Democrats like to spend $75 million on Amy McGrath or, or Jamie Harrison or uh, Cal Cunningham or whoever the sort of flavor of the week is uh, who advertises on Chris Hayes' show and then they set up an actual account and give them 10 bucks a month. Let me tell you, that is not the right strategy, but these, these state Supreme Court races in Wisconsin and Ohio and Michigan and North Carolina, yeah, those, those matter a whole hell of a lot. Um, so, so that is important. The trouble with the state legislative strategy is that, as you correctly mentioned, it takes years to win one of these cases. And in the meantime, politics progresses, right? 
um, nobody is giving Barack Obama his second term back uh, simply because Republicans held the U.S. House thanks to gerrymandering. Um, so the Pennsylvania map was overturned in 2018. That's eight years into the cycle. Uh, the North Carolina map was overturned in 2019. That's nine years into the cycle. So it's a pretty good investment, you know. Republicans get eight years. So, so the short answer is no. They the the, the court strategy is not an adequate substitute for. Uh, yeah, I guess I'm not giving many short answers tonight. No, 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 uh, no, 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 no. no. Yeah, I, I, I don't I, think I, the court strategy I, I, is is perfectly effective. And here's another reason why I don't think it's effective as, as I just keep going, Walker. Um, <laughs> um, the states that where change is most needed, Texas, Georgia, Florida, Wisconsin, Arizona, the courts have themselves have been hijacked. So those state courts are not likely to give you the same decisions that the state courts in Pennsylvania, which was a Democratic court, and in North Carolina, which was a 6-1 Democratic court, gave you. Um, in fact, I would almost argue in this sort of bitter irony that is, is going to make us all take a drink, um, that... Um, Democrats are going to attempt to do some kind of gerrymanders in Illinois and New York and Maryland this cycle that nibble back around the edges at what Republicans will be able to do in the other states. And I would suggest that Democratic judges in those states might actually say, no, you can't do that. That'd be the that 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 would be the most classic like Democratic <laughs> Party move ever. Um, it's oh, shooting yourself so in the fucked. foot. There's so, so many times, and it's just like I, I still I I want I just like it really does all come like who who is the most powerful allegedly person in the country? It's the president of the United States. It is Joe Biden. It is his own party that is blocking these essential bills, and he's out there telling activists out organize it. Out yeah, yeah, which is insulting. By the way, behind the scenes, he's telling them, "Oh, you should be happy with what I'm doing." You know, uh, I, I've done most for for Black Americans than any other president. He he said that uh, on a call with civil rights leaders uh, that was leaked uh, several months ago. Um, I mean, this guy could care less about the future of his own party, and and ultimately, as you guys are saying, uh, really the future of the country and the planet. And I, I would make the argument that um, you know the voting rights is more important than climate climate action because without I mean, Democrats are the only hope that there's going to be any climate change action in the United States. And we are a world leader. I and mean, really, literally, the planet depends on this. And for, for another decade, probably more, we could potentially have actually negative climate action because Republicans are insane and they, they just want to increase coal production. I mean, they want to they, they, they it's like they are denying the coronavirus. They deny climate change. They've been doing this for a long time. Um, it, it just it just boggles the mind. What, what is Joe Biden doing? I mean, what are the, what's the party doing generally? Like, how was this, this only came up for a vote in, or not a vote. It went up to possibly be debated in Ju late June. And then it was filibustered predictably. And it's just sort of languished there ever since. And meanwhile, like you have progressives online who are arguing still over whether or not, uh, you know, progressives in the house should have forced a vote on Medicare for all. Wow. Like, I don't know is, if I call them progressive, but yeah, this is, this is the most, this is the most important issue. I can't, I, and no one seems to really appreciate yeah. it, but like, David, can you just, just for the people out there, explain why they should care if they hate the democratic party and they hate the Republican party. If they think, you know, Oh, it, if they say, uh, you know, it's just it's just one party. There's really no difference. Explain why this matters anyway. This matters because what has we are staring down entrenched minority rule, and we are staring down the inability to do anything about it. And once again, I sound crazy when I say this, but we just talked through the numbers about the U.S. House. Um, we've talked through the numbers about state houses around the country. We all know the problem with the U.S. Senate. In many ways, that's the original gerrymander um, and the small state biases there. 
you've got 50 Democratic senators and 50 Republican senators, but the 50 Democrats represent 41.5 million more people. Um, we know the dangers of the Electoral College. Um, we know that um, over the course of the last 20 years, you've had two presidents who lost the popular vote, uh, but were nevertheless handed the Oval Office. Um, we came awfully close to that happening again in 2020. We uh, think about Joe Biden having won a, a big mandate of uh, about seven and a half million votes. But in reality, he won the Electoral College by 43,000 votes in Georgia, Wisconsin, and Arizona, um, three of the states that we've talked about as being incredibly hostile towards voting rights. Uh, that um, if, if Joe Biden had lost those three states, it's a 269-269 Electoral College tie. And I don't just say that to say 69 twice, um, <laughs> but I, I say that uh, because uh, then uh, the election would have been thrown into the U.S. House of Representatives, which votes on it not by member, but by state delegation, which, say it with me, are gerrymandered. Um, you've got, uh, oh and, and, then you have a, and then you have a U.S. Supreme Court uh, that five of the six conservatives have been appointed by presidents that lost the popular vote. <laughs> and and confirmed by a U.S. Senate that um, represents fewer people. So this is baked in minority rule at every level of our system. And, you know, if you think that there's no difference between the Democrats and Republicans, you know, cool. Um, um, I, 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 I would agree with the, some of, of that in some ways on some issues at some time. Uh, but what this is, is this is the inability of a majority of people to change their government when they want to do so. Um, and, and that's what ought to have us, us uh, not sleeping at night. You know, I mean, this is, this is something that, that we've been, I mean, we've been talking about it for years. When, when you were editor in chief of Salon, you know, we put out, during the 2016 election, articles basically warning about this, maybe salaciously titled articles that that were basically all about this issue, and and you know Joe Biden, the vice president of you know Barack Obama, is is now president of the United States. He lived through this. They've had years years to do something about it and years to prepare and to plan. And it just feels like they, they haven't done it and, again. And there, there will be people who look at that and say, it's intentional. There's no way that this is not intentional, that they, that they're not, you know, sort of a paid to lose party. Well, I don't know if I'd say that uh, here, you know, it's incredibly difficult to be the gerrymander which is why I laugh so hard when they say, go ahead and out-organize and, and out-register voters. Like they ought to know you can't do that because they've, because that strategy hasn't worked for a decade. They've been trying to take back state legislative chambers and they haven't been able to do so even when they win more votes because the maps are so outrageous. Um, so are they, are they a paid to lose party? I'm not, I, I'm not sure I'd go that far. Um, what I would say is that I they I wouldn't are, either. I, I think malice is often, you know, where incompetence would fit, malice mm, is often yeah. attributed. And I think that that's... You know, I think it was incompetence in 2010, but I mean, I think they tried really hard to win back state legislative chambers in, in North Carolina and Arizona and Texas and, 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 and Pennsylvania and over the course of the decade. And they couldn't do it, um, not because those efforts weren't funded properly or because they lacked good candidates, but because the maps made it impossible, even when they won more statewide votes. You just you, you just couldn't do it. Um, but I do think that there's a certain there's a certain school of thought among politicians that the way out of any problem is just to win elections and the way you win elections is by calling together your favorite consultants and your pollsters and your focus groups um, and, you know, raising a lot of money to, you know, support all of those activities. Um, and so that's what they know how to do. And that's what they keep doing. Um, what this problem 
necessitates is not any of that. What this problem necessitates, necessitates is bold action from the beginning. I mean, in the first week, they should have moved legislation on voting rights. They should have moved legislation thinking about term limits for U.S. Supreme Court justices. They should have moved quickly on statehood, and they should have moved quickly on the filibuster. Um, because as we said earlier, there's been this severability on, on policy and politics. It's not as if a it's not as if if they'd acted boldly on this, they would have lost those magical, mythical swing voters in North Carolina. Those swing voters don't exist. They've been gerrymandered into freaking oblivion. So act boldly, and there's no political cost of it. Just do what is right and what has to be done to fix the democracy. And if you look around the country and you don't see what's happening in state legislatures and what you're up against, I mean... I mean, I don't know. I don't know how blind you have to be. And, you know, it's like these a lot of these entrenched Democrats, the ones who could act but aren't, um, are the, the kinds of, of politicians that no, they can't organize. They can't get small donations. But what they can do is use their office for good, use their office to save their own job. And they're not even doing that. And. I, I, like, I understand if you don't really get it, like you, you've, you have one modus operandi and you, the consultants that you hire don't know anything anymore. They haven't adapted to Republicans being populist and uh, all these things. Um, but it's like, just do what you can with your office, like just like, vote for good stuff. Like, um, and, and kind of just like this sort of relates to a comment I meant to say, which is that, you know, if Congress had more members like Cory Bush, this would happen. If we had a president who actually gave a crap, this would be very different. And we saw with court, you know, now we was kind of with it, at least, at least a little more with it than Biden seems to be Well, with it. I mean, there's also questions of, okay, like he's, he's, I I don't want to, no, I'm not trying to, I'm just saying like, he, he seems sort of detached or out of the, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that there's something wrong up up here. I'm just saying that he's like, I mean, look there, he, he, there could be, he's, he's an old, he's an elderly man. Um, but I mean, look, he probably would have acted the same way. Actually, he definitely would have acted the same way 20, 30 years ago the, the, in the era where he handed Clarence Thomas uh, SCOTUS seat uh, when he, I mean, this is, this is Biden. This is what he does. He, he lets Republicans have their way and encourages them to have their way. And frankly, if you're not, if you're not every single day attacking the filibuster and pressuring your members to do that, then you're handing Republicans what they want. But I'm, my point was, you know, if, if we had more working class politicians who understood the grave threat that, you know, for instance, gerrymandering and other things uh, pose to the whole country and the world, uh, we would get things done. You know, it's not the Hillary Clintons who get things done. It's the Cory Bushes who get things done. Biden, Biden did not tell the CDC uh, to extend the, the um, eviction moratorium. And the only reason that happened was Cory Bush and her other organizers slept outside the Capitol for five days. But Biden's crediting five Pelosi. Days. Biden's crediting Pelosi. Well, it, you know, look, you know, Schumer called out Cory Bush and said, look, this is because of you, like your leadership. He also thanked AOC. And while we have the, the fake left who are attacking the squad as, as a full-time job, these are the people who just saved millions of people from evictions. Um, but again, Biden let that expire. And he only acted after five days of, of a sit-in. I mean, this is how detached this guy is. It's cr- it's crazy. So, so David, let me let me ask you something. Two, first of all, I have two questions. Uh, one of them is, do you think we'd be in a different place if Hillary Clinton had won in twenty sixteen? Uh, because you have a lot of people out there, not not people that I would you know willingly associate with, but who say, oh, it's so it's a, you know, if we if Hillary had won, this wouldn't be an issue. And then the the second question, and you can answer these in whatever order you want. The second question is, let's say we don't act. Let's say we don't do this because I have a source uh, in the house telling me it's not happening. Um, if we don't act, what is the plan? <laughs> that silence oh is what I think the plan is, you know, um, um, if Hillary had won in 2016, is this different? Um, 
I don't know. What kind of a Congress does Hillary have? Does she have the same Congress that uh, Trump had? Um, so what you're suggesting is like, if she wins the popular vote and the Electoral College, the blue wall holds, but Republicans still have the Senate and the House. Um, state legislatures, you know, um, I think our politics would be in a better place. And um, we, but do I think those Republicans would have given her a Supreme Court seat? Uh, I don't. I mean, I mean, John McCain said it wouldn't happen, right? I mean, and John McCain would, is held up as the great moderate. Um, do do I, you know, I think she would have handled the pandemic better. Um, uh, but do I think we would have gotten through a, a, a voting rights and democracy bill? Um, that's, it's, it's hard to see how that would have moved through this, this Congress under, under any president, under those Congresses, under any president. Um, would she what have had anything done with the Republican Congress? I, I don't, I tend to uh, not think so. Uh, they would have impeached her over Benghazi, right? I mean, uh, yeah. um, I don't, I, 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 I can't, um, I mean, listen, I, I wish she had won the election. Um, and I, I think she did win the election, right? Because she won her votes. Uh, but that's not the way it works, unfortunately. And, um, but I, I don't know what, President Clinton and a Republican Congress would have created those first two years other than deadlock investigations and, and, and stalemate. Um, what happens in the 2018 midterms, I think is really hard to say, right? They, they tend to go the way of the, the party that's not in the White House. So maybe Republicans would have had a good year in the 2018 midterms and, and held on to the House. I mean, it's, it's, it's a it's a fascinating game of what if, but um, uh, yeah. it's, it, do I think it, it, democracy and voting rights would be in a better place? Uh, I don't think it. I don't think it makes a difference. Um, uh, but what happens if Democrats do nothing right now? Is that time keeps moving, um, ticking, ticking, ticking into the future? As a wiser man, I, I, said. I, I, in my head, it went there. Time <laughs> keeps on slipping, slipping, slipping. Yep. Yeah, sorry about that. It's, um, it's okay. It's, it's okay. I just watched the second Space Jam too, which you know that that, that song was big in the first Space Jam, and uh, oh god, I don't I don't like the way that we're headed. <laughs> no, no, um, and um, so uh, we'll have elections in twenty twenty two. Republicans will take back the House, um, largely due to gerrymandering alone. Um, combined with whatever historic trends tend to favor the out party in a midterm election. Um, and I don't know what happens in the, in the Senate. Um, uh, can Democrats hold on to Wisconsin? Uh, I'm sorry. Can Democrats beat Ron Johnson in Wisconsin? Can they flip the open seats in, in North Carolina and Pennsylvania can Warnock hold on in Georgia. Um, can Maggie Hassan hold on against governor Sununu in New Hampshire? Um, I, I'm not, I'm not as bullish on, on the Democrats prospects to hold the Senate as, as some people are. I, I, I just think that the map is tough um, and that it could go, it could go any way. Um, the Supreme Court is gone for a generation. Um, and I don't know what happens in the White House. Um, so then you're looking at 2024. Um, the other elections that I think are really, really important in 2022 would be the governors in Michigan and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, because those are Democratic governors that are blocking gerrymandered legislatures from doing their, their worst on voting rights. You could see the same kind of Georgia and Texas bills um, coming out of Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Michigan. There was a bill introduced by a Wisconsin legislator, and this is what I think we also ought to be freaked out about, that would reallocate the state's electoral votes by gerrymandered congressional district. Um, and, and then every state gets 
so the, the way the electoral college works, of course, is one vote for every every elect representing each house seat, and then two for each senate seat. Um, and so what this bill proposed was one vote, one elector for the winner of each congressional seat, and then the the bonus two would go to the candidate that won the most congressional seats. <laughs> so if you think back to Wisconsin in twenty in twenty twenty. Donald Trump, Donald Trump loses Wisconsin, right? But under that system, he won six of the eight congressional districts. So he would have taken eight of the 10 electoral votes. Now do that in Pennsylvania and in Michigan. Holy oh, well, listen, in Arizona, oh there are, and maybe other states, but at least in Arizona, a right-wing member of their legislature proposed a bill that would just allow the legislature to pick the winner. Like, like, what they were trying to do in Pennsylvania too, the the right wing Republicans just just pick the winner. Like if they don't like it, they just they just choose. Um, and this is very likely. I mean, the uh, Arizona especially ha- has some of the most right wing Republicans uh, in in the country. Um, but I mean, the whole party has just decided that democracy is irrelevant. Um, well, it's because of demographic trends, right? Because they they don't have they don't have the demographics on their side. So it's we're going to utilize structural advantages that we have and we're just going to say you know fuck it to democracy because we want to stay we want to stay in power this is this is very dangerous this is the is this is this the end of democracy in america maybe i mean i think it's already over at this point but it's going to get way worse oh my god Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. What a world we're we're inheriting, right? You know, what a a wonderful, 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 wonderful world. Jesus Christ. Well, that's very cheery. Um, I am glad to be on brand um, and to to be bringing the happiness. Um, No, it's great. It's great. Look, uh, this is, again, again, you know, this is, this is what, what we've been warning about since forever you've been warning about this forever this is you know if people think that it can't get worse they're not paying attention to what's happening in state legislatures around the country it's it's exactly what alex just said you know if you think these lawmakers won't do it they're already trying they're already trying and if they have complete control in these states, they will use it. Yeah, and Democrats won't. Democrats have complete control of Washington right now, and they are not using it. And they're not using it to stop what we can all see is happening and this train that is barreling towards us. And if Democrats won't use their power to stop a train that is barreling towards us, I don't know what they will use their power for. So let me ask, let me ask one final question though. Um, if, is there anything that, you know, Joe Schmo can do, but people listening to this, uh, anyone who's not, you know, a political actor, um, is there anything that the public can do? Um, uh, marijuana is now legal in many states. Um, just got legal in New York. If you, if you are, if you are over the age of 21, um, you can drink. <laughs> Um, I, I, rec- I recommend, Holy shit. I recommend that strategy. I bet um, you're, I bet, I, I bet you're as fun at parties as I am. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, let me tell you, 18 months of, uh, of pandemic quarantine didn't lead to many fewer invitations for me. Um, yeah, no. Um, what can people do? Um, tickets to Canada? Got to, you know, yeah, tickets yeah. To- I don't think they're letting Americans in at this point, are they? Um, well, that's out. I mean, maybe that changed in the last week or two, but uh, yeah, no. Um, this is a really hard question to answer because we know who's going to control the redistricting. The die's been cast in all of those states. Um, we know who's on the Supreme Court. The, the die has been cast there. It's, it's cast for a long time. So what can we do? I mean, um, you know, in 2018, there were all of these uh, pro-democracy victories around the country. 
you had citizens in Idaho who expanded Medicaid and they didn't do so close. I mean, it was it was like 63% of the vote expanded Medicaid in Idaho in 2018 because citizens made it possible and forced it onto the ballot and won. Um, you know, you had almost two thirds of Floridians vote to end felon disenfranchisement in Florida. Um, you had citizens in Missouri and Ohio and Michigan and Utah uh, and Colorado try and reform redistricting. And with the exception of Utah, where it was close, in most states, it was like 60, 70 percent of the vote um, in favor of these of these pro-democracy movements. So, I mean, I really do believe that um, even even in this in this Fox News uh, Trumpified disinformation America, that there is still a majority of people who uh, can be reached, who can be persuaded, and who can be brought to action, and that we can win. Uh, but what we're up against is entrenched and deep seated, and you know we all know what happened in Florida and felon disenfranchisement. Uh, the gerrymandered legislature. Um, and the stacked state Supreme Court added a poll tax on top of, of that and, you know, effectively nullified what two thirds of the state wanted to do. Uh, so this is what we're up against. Um, but we've got to keep pushing at it. I mean, I don't know what choice we have, but to keep pushing at it. Um, I mean, I was in I was in Idaho with a bunch of those activists and um we were in Cedar Falls, this Mormon conservative community way out, out way out in the mountains. And um, we walked up this driveway and there's a bumper sticker on a pickup truck that says Vietnam. We were winning when I left. I thought to myself, oh, shit, I'm about to meet my death wow. here in Cedar Falls, uh, Idaho Falls. And um, but we knock on this guy's door. We say, yeah, we're here to talk about Medicaid expansion and, you know, Obamacare and, you know, making it eligible. And uh, he's like, yeah, you know, I mean, I fall into that gap and my family falls into that gap and I'm going to sign your petition and I'm going to vote for this. Um, and I, I thought to myself, if I was driving down the street and I saw this guy's pickup truck and he like had his turn signal on, I, I wouldn't let him in. But when you knock on his door and talk to him about a basic issue, um, he was he was there. Um, so I don't I don't want to suggest that all hope is lost. It's um, it's dark. It's really really dark. You it know? sets but us back on our climate change timeline, which it we, sets might, us back on we might not have timeline on every timeline. You know, I mean, I mean, Dr. King talked about a, a moral arc of the universe being long and bending towards justice, and I, you know, I don't know if it bends towards justice. I think, um, I think every time it it bends, there's there's people trying to pull it back the other way, and that's the history of voting rights in this country, right? I mean, it's not a a straight line of 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 greater enfranchisement. It's 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 fits and starts, and um, I hope that what we're in is one of these kind of backlashes that all of us can kind of grab onto that arc and pull it in the direction that we still want it to go in. But it's going to take all of us, and it's going to take all of us pulling now because this is a deep, dark, dangerous moment, uh, and it's going to take all hands on board. Well, David. I want to thank you so much for joining us and joining us on my birthday and having a drink with me over zoom. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's always a pleasure when I get to speak with you. Um, and Alex, you know, you've had better days. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, uh, no, love but you, thank you. Th yeah. Mm, buddy. Um, but th thanks for joining us. It's, it's very bleak um but yeah we just have to keep fighting i i think i think ultimately we're gonna lose more than we win but eventually we will not and that's hopefully hopefully by then we things haven't fallen apart too much i think i think there's some level of damage that we are going to have to um plan for and accept uh, or not accept don't accept it but plan for it and understand when it happens what could have prevented it and just keep fighting so that in the future we don't have make the same mistakes thanks for joining us alex take us out 
<laughs> well, yeah. Um, also, yeah, really appreciate talking to you, Dave. Um, just keep on writing your books, and uh, we'll all keep screaming to avoid. And uh, <laughs> hope something happens. <laughs> uh, ah, ah! <laughs> <laughs> all right, here we go. Let's Audio editing by Alex Koch. Original theme music by Direwolf. Published by OptOut, the anti-corporate news app. Visit optout.news for details.